This audio production was made in collaboration with Audible Anarchist. The Bolshevik Myth by Alexander Berkman Chapter 24 Yosef the Emigrant A short, slender man of thirty, with lustrous dark eyes set wide apart and a face of peculiar sadness. The expression of his eyes still haunts me. Now mournful, now irate, they reflect all the tragedy of his Jewish descent. His smiles speak the kindliness of a heart that has suffered and learned to understand. The thought kept running through my mind as he was relating his experiences in the revolution, and it was his patient, winsome smile which had conquered the brutality of his persecutors. I had known him in America, him and his friend Leah, a sweet-faced girl of unusual self-control and determination. Both had for years been active in the radical movement in the United States, but the call of the revolution brought them back to their native land in the hope of helping in the great task of liberation. They worked with the Bolsheviki against Kerensky and the provisional government and cooperated with them in the stormy October days, which gave so much promise of a rainbow, as the emigrant remarked sorrowfully. But soon the communists began to suppress the other revolutionary parties, and Yosef went with Leah to the Ukraine, where they aided in organizing the Southern Confederation of Anarchist Groups under the name of the Nabat Alarm. As the emigrant, his pen name in the Nabat, the organ of the Confederation, Yosef is widely known in the South and is much loved for his idealism and sunny disposition. Energetic and active, he is tireless in his labors among the Ukrainian peasantry, and everywhere he is the soul and inspiration of proletarian circles. I have repeatedly visited him and his friends in the anarchist bookstore Volnoye Bratsvo, Free Brotherhood. They have witnessed the numerous political changes in the Ukraine, have suffered imprisonment by the whites, and have been maltreated by Denikin soldiers. We are hounded no less by the Bolsheviki, the emigrant said. We never know what they will do to us. One day they arrest us and close our club and bookstore. At other times they leave us alone. We never feel safe. They keep us under constant surveillance. In this they have a great advantage over the whites. Under the latter we could work underground, but the communists know almost every one of us personally, for we always stood shoulder to shoulder with them against counter-revolution. The emigrant, whom I had formerly known as a most peace-loving man, surprised me by his militant enthusiasm regarding Machno, whom he familiarly calls Nestor. He spent much time with the latter, and he regards him as a thorough anarchist who is fighting reaction from the left as well as from the right. Yosef was active in Machno's camp as educator and teacher. He shared the daily life of the Povstanci and accompanied them as a non-combatant on their campaigns. He is deeply convinced that the Bolsheviki have betrayed the people. As long as they were revolutionary, we cooperated with them, he said. The fact is, we anarchists did some of the most responsible and dangerous work all through the revolution, in Kronstadt, on the Black Sea, in the Ural, and Siberia. Everywhere we gave a good account of ourselves, but as soon as the communists gained power, they began eliminating all the other revolutionary elements, and now we are entirely outlawed. Yes, the Bolsheviki, those arch-revolutionists, have outlawed us, he repeated bitterly. Could not some way of reapproachment be found? I suggested. 
referring to my intention of broaching the matter to Radovsky, uh, the Lenin of Ukraine. No, it's too late, Yosef replied positively. We've tried it repeatedly, but every time the Bolsheviki broke their promises and exploited our agreements only to demoralize our ranks. You must understand that the Communist Party has now become a full-fledged government, seeking to impose its rules upon the people and doing it by the most drastic methods. There is no more hope of turning the Bolsheviki into revolutionary channels. Today they are the worst enemies of the revolution, far more dangerous than the Denikins and Wranglels, whom the peasantry know as such. The only hope of Russia now is in the forcible overthrow of the communists by a new uprising of the people. I see no evidence of such a possibility, I objected. The whole peasantry of the South is bitterly opposed to them, Yosef replied, but of course we must turn their bland hatred into conscious rebellion. In this regard, I consider Machno's Provstanisi movement as a most promising beginning of a great popular upheaval against the new tyranny. I have heard many conflicting stories about Machno, I remarked. He is painted either as a devil or as a saint. Yosef smiled. Ever since I learned that you are in Russia, he said earnestly, I have been hoping you would come here. In a lowered voice, he added, The best way to find out the truth about Machno would be to investigate for yourself. I looked at him questioningly. We were alone in the bookstore, save for a young woman who was busying herself at the shelves. Yosef's eyes wandered to the street, and his look rested on two men conversing on the sideway. Cheka, he declared laconically, always sneaking around here. I have something to propose to you, he continued, but we must find a safer place. Tomorrow evening I shall have several comrades meet you. Come to the dacha, he named a summer house occupied by a friend. But be careful you are not followed. At the dacha, situated in a park in the environs of the city, I found a number of Yosef's friends. They felt self in that retreat, they averred, but the hunted look did not leave them, and they spoke in lowered voices. Someone remarked that the occasion reminded him of his university days, in the time of Nicholas II, when the students used to gather in the woods to discuss forbidden political questions. Things have not changed in that respect, he added sadly. Incomparably worse in every regard, a dark-featured Ukrainian remarked emphatically. Don't take him literally, smiled Yosef. He is our inveterate pessimist. I do mean it literally, the Ukrainian persisted. There isn't enough left of the revolution to make a fig leaf for Bolshevik nakedness. Russia has never before lived under such absolute despotism. Socialism, communism, indeed. Never have we less liberty and equality than today. We have merely exchanged Nicholas for Ilyich. You see only the forms, put in a young man introduced as the poet. But there is an essence in the present Russia that escapes you. There is a spiritual revolution, which is the symbol and the germ of a new culture. For every culture, he continued, is an organic whole of manifold realization. It is the knowing of something in connection with something else. In other words, consciousness. The highest expressions of such culture is man's consciousness of self as a spiritual being, and in Russia today this culture is being born. I can't follow your mysticism, the pessimist retorted. Where do you see this resurrection? It's not a resurrection. It is a new birth, the poet replied thoughtfully. Russia is not made up of revolutionists and counter-revolutionists only. There are others, 
in all walks of life, and they are sick of all political dogmas. There are millions of consciousnesses that are painfully struggling toward new criteria of reality. And their souls, they have lived through the tremendous collision of life and death. They have died and come to life again. They have attained to new values. In them is the coming dawn of the new Russian culture. Ah, the revolution is dead, remarked a short, smooth-shaven man of middle age in a red army uniform. When I think of the October days and the mighty enthusiasm which swept the country, I realized what depths we have sunk. Then was liberty, indeed, and brotherhood. Why the joy of the people was such strangers kissed each other on the highways. And even later, when I thought, fought against the Czechoslovaks on the Ural, the army was inspired. Each felt himself a free man defending the revolution that was his. But when we returned from the front, we found the Bolsheviki proclaimed themselves dictators over us in the name of their party. It's dead, our revolution, he concluded with a deep sigh. You are wrong, my friend, Yosef protested. The Bolsheviki have indeed retarded the progress of the revolution, and they are trying to destroy it altogether, to secure their political power. But the spirit of the revolution lives in spite of them. March 1917 was only the revolutionary honeymoon, the lisping of lovers. It was clean and pure, but it was inarticulate, impotent. The real passion was yet to come. October sprang from the womb of Russia itself. True, the Bolsheviki have turned, the, turned Jesuits, but the revolution has accomplished much. It has destroyed capitalism and undermined the principles of private ownership. In its concrete expression, today, Bolshevism is a system of the most ruthless despotism. It has organized a socialistic slavery. Yet notwithstanding, I declare that the Russian revolution lives. For the leaders and the present forms of Bolshevism are a temporary element. They are a morbid spasm in the general process. The paroxysm will pass. The healthy revolutionary essence will remain. Everything that is good and valuable in human history has always borne and developed in the atmosphere of evil and corruption, mixing and interweaving with it. That is the fate of every struggle for liberty. It also applies to Russia today, and is our mission to give aid and strength to the fine and the true, the permanent in that struggle. I suppose that's why you are so partial to Machno, put in the Red Army man. Machno represents the real spirit of October, Yosef replied with warmth. In the revolutionary Povstansi, whom he leads, is the sole hope of the country. The Ukrainian peasant is an instinctive anarchist, and his experience has taught him that all governments are essentially alike, taking everything from him and giving nothing in return. He wants to be rid of them, to be left alone to arrange his own life and affairs. He will fight the new tyranny. They are kulaki with petty bourgeois ideas of property, retorted the pessimist. There is such an element, Yosef admitted, but the great majority are not of that type. As to the Machno movement, it offers the greatest field of propaganda. Nestor himself, an anarchist, affords us the fullest opportunity to work in his army, even to the extent of supplying us with printed material and machinery for the publication of our newspaper and leaflets. The territory occupied by Machno is the only place where liberty of speech and press prevails. But not for communists, retorted the soldier. Machno justly considers the communists as much counter-revolutionary as the whites, replied Yosef. 
but for the revolutionists, for anarchists, maximalists, and left social revolutionists, there is full liberty of action in the Povstansi districts. Machno may call himself an anarchist, spoke up M, an individualist anarchist, but I disagree entirely with Yosef about the significance of his movement. I consider his army merely an enlarged band of rebel peasants without revolutionary purpose or consciousness. They have been guilty of brutality and pogroms, added the pessimist. There have been excesses, Yosef replied, just as they have in every army. The communists not accepted, but Nestor is merciless towards those guilty of Jew-baiting. Most of you have read his numerous proclamations against pogroms, and you know how severely he punishes such things. I remember, for instance, the incident at Verkhny Takmar. It was characteristic. It happened about a year ago, on the 4th or 5th of May, 1919. Machno, accompanied by several members of his military staff, was on his way from the front to Gulyaipol, his headquarters, for a conference with the special Soviet emissaries sent from Kharkov. At the station of Verkhny, Takmar, Nestor noticed a large poster reading, Kill the Jews, Save Russia, Long Live Machno. Nestor sent for the station master. Who put up the poster, he demanded. I did, replied the official, a peasant who had been in fights against Denikin. Without another word, Machno shot him. That's the way Nestor treats Jew-baiters, Yosef concluded. I have heard many stories of atrocities and pogroms committed by Machno units, I remarked. They are lies willfully spread by the Bolsheviki, Yosef asserted. They hate Nestor worse than they do Wrangel. Trotsky once said that it were better the Ukraina were taken by Denikin than to allow Machno to continue there. With reason, for the savage rule of the Tsarist generals would soon turn the peasantry against them and thus enable the Bolsheviki to defeat them, while the spread of Machnovichina, as the Machno movement is known, with its anarchist ideas, threatens the whole Bolshevik system. The pogroms ascribed to Machno upon investigation always proved to have been committed by the Greens or other bandits. The fact is, Machno and his staff keep up a continuous agitation against religious and nationalistic superstitions and prejudices. Though radically differing concerning the character and significance of the Machnovichnina, those present agreed that Nestor himself is a unique figure and one of the most outstanding personalities on the revolutionary horizon. To his admirer, Yosef, however, he typifies the spirit of revolution as it expresses itself in the feeling, thought and life of the rebel peasantry of the Ukraine. This has been a production of Audible Anarchist. You can find more Audible Anarchist on YouTube.